Welcome into the Kings Insider Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. This summer heat, drop into Wendy's, get yourself a little frosty. Sounds really good right about now. I'm your host, James Ham. Joining me today, uh, we've brought in somebody to help break down all of this recent flurry of Kings news. Uh, they've picked up some players. They've made a trade. Uh, they still have $11 million in cap space. What will they do with all of this money uh, to help us break it all down? We're going to speak to Danny LaRue. He's a staff writer at The Athletic. He's also the co-host of the Dunked On podcast with Nate Duncan. Uh, He does some work for Real GM Radio. Danny, how's it going today? I'm doing well, James. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm just trying to figure out where we go from here. I mean, the Sacramento Kings, of course, they they made two transactions last week. Actually, three transactions. They made the, uh, the trade of Garrett Temple. Uh, and brought in Ben McLemore and, what is it, Deontay Davis. Uh, and then they also uh, picked up Yogi Ferrell and Nemanja uh, Bielitsa. Look at that. I figured out how to say it. Um, but, uh, Danny, they still have $11 million in cap space. And uh, first thing I think I, I need to know, because uh, normally I know these things and I can do the research, but I haven't on this one. How is it that the Sacramento Kings currently stand at 16 rostered players when the league maximum is 15? So this is one of those things that once you get it, you'll get it and it'll be fine. But basically that 15 person roster limit, that's only for during the season. So in the off season, teams can have up to 20. And there isn't a distinction made on whether those are guaranteed or non-guaranteed contracts or anything like that. I'm genuinely unsure how two-way guys fit but that doesn't matter to this to this calculation. So basically what that does is it allows teams to kind of move around the pieces a little bit without feeling as constrained. And so there are times the LA Clippers, I believe right now, have 17 fully guaranteed contracts and then two or three other guys. So you can push it pretty far. And there are a lot of different ways the Kings can resolve that. And as you said, they still have cap space. They still have about 11 million to work with. So they don't have to cut down. I believe it's sometime between the end of training camp and the start of the regular season. It's it's right in that range, but it's still the short version is it's far enough away that they don't need to concern themselves with it. And with Sacramento, they have a couple of guys on this team, I think, that aren't necessarily guaranteed to be a part of their team next year. So they could either move that by a trade or just cutting guys that aren't good enough. Yeah, I think the cutting guys is a, a high possibility, especially with Davis and with Ben McMore. I actually, uh, from what I'm hearing, I don't expect either of those players to be on the roster uh, when either training camp opens or regular season opens. I think it would be kind for the for the Kings to let those guys go earlier rather than wait because there is uh, there is sort of a, a roster crunch going on around the league and a financial crunch going around the league. Um, but when you look at the way that they've constructed this, uh, they're still missing. They're missing pieces, a small forward, um, you know, maybe some depth here and there. Um, is, is it too late 
I mean, there really isn't anyone left on this free agent market outside of Rodney Hood, who most people believe the Cavs will match offers for uh, a guy like Clint Capella. But is there anyone that stands out to you that might help the Kings if they wanted to use that, well, use some of that $11 million in cap space? There isn't that much. One guy that I would be interested in on the lower end, you know, not using a lot of that 11 million would be Tyrone Wallace. So Tyrone Wallace is on a two-way contract with the Clippers. And I just talked about how the Clippers have a roster crunch kind of like the Kings do. So they might not match. And Wallace, so all you have to do with a two-way guy is you have to offer, you could theoretically offer them a two-way contract, but I think the Clippers would match on that, is they could offer, a. it has to be at least two years and option years don't count. So it could theoretically, the most team-friendly iteration would be a two-year contract at or around the minimum where the second year is non-guaranteed. That would technically count as a viable offer sheet. And you can work in, You can, I, I don't think they would have to pay a ton of money there. What I like about Wallace is he can defend a couple of different positions. I think of him more personally as a two than a three, but he can he can go in both spots. If they want to go more for a veteran, Corey Brewer would be interesting. I, I, I'm still surprised he's on the market, but you're right that a lot of the major players are taken. I would have been very enthusiastic for the Kings to take on somebody like James Ennis or Travion Graham, both of whom signed for the minimum. But no, no use crying over spilt milk about other free agents. There's still options on the table for Sacramento. Yeah, I think there are a couple of options. I'm not sure that any of them improve the team greatly. Uh, that's I've kind of tempered it with Kings fans. Like, look, uh, you add Yogi Ferrell, and what he does is maybe he pushes Frank Mason either down lower or out, uh, which is tough a tough pill for people to swallow. But Yogi Ferrell uh, is shown in his you know one-plus seasons, almost two years in the league, that he really does fit and he does know how to play and can step in. I think he, he started 21 games last year for Dallas. Uh, and the addition of Bielitsa complicates things greatly as well. Uh, he's a guy who isn't a natural small forward, um, but he did play a lot of small forward last year for uh, for um, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, but he's going to play some stretch four. And that's where you really get into it because the Kings, I think that would give them eight bigs on the roster. Uh, and that is crazy. Uh, do you see a way where the Kings can rebalance this roster? Um, or or do you think most teams, because the free agent market has dried up so substantially, are kind of set in what they're doing? There is a potentially a way to rebalance the roster, but it would involve kind of what they want to do if they have anything big left on the docket. And the problem there, though, is that if you're talking about restructuring the roster and adding a small forward, this if you're trying to make a, a trade like where you're taking on cap, oh, even a lot of the expensive small forwards, their teams want to keep because they're still really valuable players. Now, there are exceptions to that, like let's say Luol Dang or Chandler Parsons or something like that, where you're not doing it for that player, you're doing it for the asset that they're attaching to get off that bad contract. Mm -hmm. But theoretically, you know, if, if you're going to say, are there ways to, to reform the roster? Yes, absolutely. There are. It's just that it, it's not going to be getting that, you know, that, that centerpiece in all likelihood, because that's just not where we are in the off season. Okay. So Danny, you and I have, uh, we went back and forth a little bit um, on DMS about this, but uh, there is a major, major crunch with salary this season. Um, I, I've got four teams that you, you don't really consider. Maybe you consider Toronto a marquee team, but I, I'm not sure that you really do. 
but four teams that are over the luxury tax that are scrambling. And I'm not going to include AK- OKC in there because they're so far over still, even after the Comrello deal, um, that I, I don't think the Kings want to touch that situation. They don't have any assets. Uh, but, you know, you've got your uh, your Timberwolves. You've got uh, your Washington Wizards, of course, your Raptors. Um, it, is there a deal there uh, with one of these teams where you could help a team slide under the luxury tax and really open things up for someone else while taking on a contract? Uh, because, you know, again, the Kings are the lone team with massive cap space remaining. Uh, and it seems like they're in a position of power if they manage this correctly. Yeah, they are in a position of power. What, the biggest determining factor is actually what the other teams are willing to give up. You brought up Washington. I think they're a good clarifying example. here. Washington has, through Jody Meeks, who's actually suspended for a little bit of the season, and Jason Smith, those guys aren't enough to get them all the way under the tax, but they're enough to make the bill a lot lighter. And I think sometimes that's what you're looking for as well, at least at this point in the offseason, is not trying to get a team all the way out from under. That is perfect, but if you can't get all the way there. But I don't know if Washington's willing to give up a valuable asset, whether that's a first-round pick or one of their young dudes, to make that happen. Portland is another one here. you know, And Portland gets into what I think is the most interesting question with Sacramento, which is not whether they're willing to use this space for the... 18-19 season, the current season now, because the answer there is presumably yes. I mean, if you have that space, you might as well use it. That's mm-hmm. not as big consequence. It's whether they're willing to take on money for a future season, because that is really what will unlock a greater asset return. The, that does not mean, oh, they should absolutely do that, because it depends on what other teams offer. And the other thing that makes Sacramento different, not only do they have this cap space, but they also have a lot of expiring salary. So theoretically, let's say a team wanted to trade a guy who makes more money. Like I brought up Will Deng before. I mean, you could even throw Joakim Noah into this mix as well. You know, maybe you do one of those. Well, let's say they make more money than the Kings have cap space. They could put Amon Shumpert in the trade. They could put, I think, Kufos is, you know, more valuable player, but you could put Kufos in the trade. You could put Zach Randolph in the trade, you know, assuming the personality dynamics of those guys are cool with where they're going and all that kind of stuff. So what I'm saying there is that the Kings have more flexibility even than that cap space for the right deal, but they have the leverage to say, we're only going to do something like that if we're getting something very real back here. And I don't, I mean, for me, if you're talking in that range of a multi-year contract, you're looking at a first round pick, maybe even a better than bottom first round pick, you know, something maybe in the top, You'd be maybe looking top 20. It depends on how much money they're taking on. But they still have the flexibility to make these big moves happen. And I think you can make a good argument that they are really the only team that can do both the cap space and the 2019 play at the same time. And so that means they should be the team everybody's calling first. You are listening to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. Wendy's new Berry Burst Chicken Salad is a perfect summer meal for busy schedules. Packed with fresh strawberries, blueberries, grilled chicken, and topped with raspberry vinaigrette, it's bursting with summer flavors. Available for a limited time at participating Wendy's. Also, we're into boat safety here on the Kings Insider Podcast, so let's listen to a little boating and waterways conversation about boating safety this summer. 
I can't wait to spend some quality time with my son fishing this year, teaching him about casting, how to choose baits, set the hook, and how to be safe on the water by always wearing a life jacket. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. You bring up the uh, the three veterans. So really, it's Z-Boat, like 11.7. It's Amon Shumpert at 11.4. And Co- uh, Costa Cufas is, is at like 9.7. I mean, No, no, 8.7. Uh, million. Uh, but in addition to that, I'll point this out. When they traded Garrett Temple, they they created another million in cap space, which is, you know, neither here nor there. It puts them at 10 million versus 11 million. It doesn't really matter. But what it also did was it took his $8 million salary and it broke it up into smaller pieces. So now they have Ben McLemore at 5 million on an expiring deal and they have Davis at I think it's one point something million uh, again on an expiring deal. So now they have different levels of contracts. So if they do go into one of these negotiations and they're willing to take on a bigger contract, they can slide pieces in and out of the deal to make it work within the the confines of the NBA trade, uh, sort of the trade rules. And so I like that personally because. Uh, I, while I loved Garrett Temple, I know he was not going to play. He was told early on that you're not going to play if you resign. Um, and so they went to find him a home right away as soon as he did decide to opt in. And I think they found him a pretty good home in Memphis. Um, but I think really, if you look at this deal, it was, you know, they can wave Davis and not really even feel it at all. Uh, they don't even need to stretch provision him. And now, you know, again, they they have an open roster spot or maybe they don't have an open roster spot. But I, I think by moving these pieces around, it now allows them to take that eleven million that they have in cap space and throw in either a Shumpert or throw in uh a Macklemore at five million, get up to sixteen million, and now the range of player that you could take back is much is much greater. Um but when you look at this market and how dry it is how how value how valuable do you think this space is? Because I I hear these Ian Miami deals and um, you know you hear what Miami's trying to offer up. I mean they would love to get rid of James Johnson or or Tyler Johnson or or Hassan Whiteside's contract, but these are so unattractive as far as contracts go. Evan Turner, uh, you know uh, Luol Deng. I mean these contracts that you're looking at. The players aren't game changers for Sacramento, uh, and in addition, they're multi-year contracts. So either it's this year and next, or it's or it's three-year deal. Um, so I guess my question is, how valuable is this space and and flexibility that the Kings have, or do you think that it, it's going to be difficult for them to add a first-round pick or a young player that makes sense to them? It's less valuable than I thought it would be, which is really surprising. The biggest dynamic that I want to convey in this part is that teams have been very reluctant to give up assets to dump multi-year salary. So I think a big part of the reason for that is just the specific teams that happen to have it. So the Knicks wouldn't really gain anything by unloading Noah this year because they were they were kind of in their cap space spot. And so they, they're really looking to unload the second year of that contract, something Sacramento could actually do by basically matching this year's salary and then doing that. But what the Knicks would give up there is a question. Kind of the same thing with Portland. Paul Allen is a billionaire. One of the benefits of a billionaire owner who's willing to spend on their team is that he's not as freaked out about being in the luxury tax. I mean, for almost any other franchise, a Myers-Leonard trade would be 
almost automatic just because if that would single-handedly get them out of the tax for this year, probably not for next year. So I think they're, the Kings are at the mercy of what other teams offer, and it only takes one. And so that's why this versatility in terms of offering is really interesting because what they can kind of say is, we can structure a deal however you want. So if you want it to be us taking on 2019 money, we can do that. But we still want a first-round pick for that. You know, We still want something valuable. And something you, you mentioned in the intro, which I think is important, is that the Kings should not feel any pressure whatsoever to make a deal in July, in August, September, or even October because they are the only team with cap space. And so if the offers are not at the level that they think are commensurate with what they have, there is basically no harm in waiting. The only harm in waiting is the opportunity cost of what you could get now versus what you get later. And if what you could get now isn't good enough, then there is no opportunity cost. So maybe nothing comes down the pike. Maybe these teams just want to hold firm and some of these guys have good seasons. But they they can be in the place to say, you pretty much have to go through us, set a hard line, set it, you know, picks, young players, whatever that line is. And if nobody meets it, be comfortable riding it out for a long time. I, I completely agree with that because when I look at riding it out for a long time, I think the only thing that that cap space is going to do is get more valuable. You're going to have some of these teams that are not successful, that all of a sudden it's a panic that they're going to pay the luxury tax for a team that's not going to make the playoffs. Or maybe they are successful, but they're looking at next summer and saying, man, we're one piece away. If we could clear up some space right now, maybe we'd be in a better position. I don't see any of these teams offering up a deal that immediately impacts and fills the void that the Kings have at the small forward position, um, unless for some reason Washington was able to was willing to give up a player like uh, Kelly Obre. Uh, maybe that would make sense for the Kings. But I think Sacramento's in a better position to sit back and say, you know what? Maybe Washington gets in some trouble here and their ownership group moves off of Otto Porter and his gigantic salary because they know that they're going to be a taxpayer multi-years because of his salary. Maybe they're willing to give him up in a dump deal. Uh, maybe, again, the Minnesota Timberwolves, maybe they move off of uh, Andrew Wiggins and they're willing to, to give him away for a song. And so I think it does behoove the Kings to sit back and wait because I don't think this season is going to be about uh, it will be about wins and losses more than it was last year, but it's going to be about young players learning how to win and lose uh, versus what it was last year. It was a lot of uh, sort of mature pieces trying to help them along the way. I think this year, we've heard it repeatedly, the training wheels are coming off. The Kings are going to go at it uh, and try to win with this team. I don't think they are going to win with this team just because they have major holes in the roster. Um, and they have like, again, eight big men that you just can't get on the floor. I don't know, even know what this means for a guy like Scalabissier or a Costa Kufis or a Zach Randolph. Those guys may not play at all early in the season. Uh, so I think they're in a strange position, um, but also in a position of power and sort of a, an advantage. This is, this is what happens when you sort of sit out the free agent market, um, Danny, what do you think about the moves they have made? Do you like uh, the Yogi Ferrell, the Bielitsa additions, the Marvin Bagley edition? Are you kind of, hmm, I don't know. It depends on the move. So I am not the biggest Marvin Bagley fan. I just think that he's kind of a man without a country in the modern NBA. He certainly could prove me wrong. My 
prognostications are, are never perfect, but he, to me, is more of a, a power forward than a center, and he's not really kind of in, in either camp. Talented, to be sure, and I, there is something in there. I'm just a little bit lower on him than than others are. Bielitsa is a fascinating fit. As you talked about, my biggest concern with him is just the the playing crunch of everybody else that they have. But I think Bielitsa can make their young guys look better. And one of the challenges that I've focused on as somebody who watches the whole league is these teams that don't get the ecosystem right to evaluate their young players. Orlando's offense last year was really out of whack. I think that was a good example. Phoenix's defense the last couple of years has been an abject failure just because they haven't really put the right pieces or played guys like Jared Dudley who actually could help their team. And so Bielitsa, he keeps the ball moving. He can do a little bit with with the ball in his hands as well. I, I like th- how they can fit with that. Yogi Ferrell, solid vet. You brought up the Frank Mason thing. And the point that I would make there is that last year, and I would expect this to be true this year, Yogi Ferrell is a better basketball player than Frank Mason. So you just need to kind of square whether that matters or not. And so he's a part of the mix. They didn't make a big commitment to him. So you can play it either way. If Frank Mason is better, then by all means, you give Frank Mason the job. All they lost was you know, $3 million. I think Farrell's contract could end up being tradable because of that non-guarantee in the second year. So my the the worst thing the Sacramento Kings did ended up being completely mitigated, which was the Zach Levine offer sheet, which I thought was awful. But they got out of it. So to a point, it's no harm, no foul. I mean, you worry a little bit. I, I think it was a big overpay for him and all that, but we don't need to get into it unless you want to. But overall, I'd say it was fine. The big question is going to be what can they do with this space? whether they can get an asset with whatever they're willing to take on. But I'm happy that they, you know, that they didn't really do anything irresponsible long-term. And it's always a threat when a team has a lot of cap space for them to do that, whether we're talking like the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract last year or any number of contracts over the last couple of years. So they've done a pretty good job of keeping the powder dry. And that's a form of success. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think I'd point this out. While the Kings have made plenty of mistakes, uh, I mean, I could go down, there's a litany of mistakes that they've made, not just in the last, not in the uh, the Vlade Divac era, they've made plenty there, but over the last 10 years, they've made so many mistakes, it's ridiculous. Um, but the one thing that they have done over the last three or four years is really done a nice job of managing the cap and being in a position to strike if there ever is the right deal. Now, they haven't found the right deal, and I agree with you, the Levine thing. I think it was exciting because he is an exciting player, although he's coming off a knee injury. Uh, I think that there's more potential there, uh, but at the same time, you were tying yourself to a player for $19.5 million, and I'll point this out too. I think one of the confusing things for some of the fans is that the whole 16-man roster, uh, why couldn't they have just kept Nigel Hayes? And I'll explain that quickly by waving Nigel Hayes when they did they were able to open up his salary for this year so it wasn't about the roster space it was about his his league minimum salary that allowed them to have more money to go extend to Zach Levine um so so if there's some confusion there uh I so Danny I guess we'll sum this up we'll we'll finish this up with this um do you think the Kings can benefit from this or is it just like uh, it, it's kind of like Portland's gigantic trade exemption uh, that they were never able to use and just turned to dust uh, over the last couple of days. And all of a sudden, you know, the Kings, we get to next summer and the Kings have 60-something million in salary cap space uh, in a crowded market where there's a ton of players, but also a ton of money flooding into the market. 
uh, and they might be one of those teams that are left at the altar uh, wishing that they would have done something earlier. They absolutely could be left to the altar. That is a possibility here. But I think being really the only team left has some real value so they can be a part of all of these conversations and and hold hold pretty firm on on what they want. And I'm fascinated to see what that's going to be because they have such market power, but they only you only have as much leverage as other teams are willing to to kind of give you. You know, if, if other teams aren't desperate to cut money, then they're not going to give you the assets that you want. Another thing I want to mention briefly, and this would be a long time to wait, theoretically, and Sacramento could actually use that cap space in June. So basically after the league year is over, the player has to have a commitment for the following season to be traded. But theoretically, they could take on some money then too. They could. There, there are some options that are open there. I believe Dallas did something in that vein this, this past offseason. So it, I don't think that's the best use of their space. If they if it gets there, I'll be disappointed. But at a certain point, you need to roll the dice, and it, it depends. The hardest thing for me about this kind of part of it, and I'm sure you can sympathize, is that we don't know all the offers that are on the table. So I can't say the Kings having their space now is a mistake or anything like that because we don't know what's out there. We don't know what will be out there. So I think that there will be an offer on the table at some point that will be worthwhile. I am hopeful of that. But where it comes from, who it is, and I'm guessing it's going to be a draft pick rather than a young player. But if that happens, it only takes one offer to make it all worth it. There it is. One offer to uh, to make it all worth it. And we'll also throw out, Danny, the 2019 draft is not that impressive. Uh, I don't think a top 20 pick in, in that in that draft, you know, a, a pick between, say, 15 and 20, I don't think it's worth that much. I don't think it's worth taking on 16 million of uh, Ian Mianmi next season uh, in order to get a, a pick between 15 and 20. It's just not that good of a draft. Uh, and that pick isn't worth $32 million that you basically would have to spend uh, to bring in yet another big man and, and confuse things even more. Um, Danny, thanks so much for dropping by. Uh, we'll, we'll have you on again because uh, I love to talk the nuances of the salary cap. And, and I know that's one of your specialties. So uh, make sure to to tune in to Danny. You can find him at The Athletic. Uh, you can also, he, he's the co-host with uh, Nate Duncan on the Dunk Don podcast, and he also does Real GM Radio. Danny, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the Kings Insider podcast brought to you by Wendy's. If you haven't already, please visit Apple Podcasts or Google Play to subscribe. And if you like our podcast, give us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at NBCS Authentic. We'll be back next week with Doug Christie and another great guest. Thanks for tuning in, Kings fans. We'll see you very soon.